Welcome to the Suffolk Walking Festival podcast, where we guide you around the footpaths and bridleways of Suffolk to discover what makes this county so very, very special. I'm David Falk, the director of the Suffolk Walking Festival, and in each episode of this podcast, I'll be meeting someone who shares our passion for walking in Suffolk. In this episode, I'm in the heart of Suffolk at Thornham Walks for a twilight walk with wildlife and nature enthusiast, John Tyler. John, thanks for joining us on the Suffolk Walking Festival podcast. Thank you for inviting me, David. Now, I introduced you in the introduction as a wildlife enthusiast. Is that an apt sort of description, would you say? I, I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> Na- wildlife and nature enthusiast, yes. yeah. You have a, a really deep knowledge of wildlife and nature, don't you? On some things, I like to explore things. I like the sort of the, the intrigue of, of finding out things. Um, yes. But I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was an expert, but definitely an enthusiast. And tell us what you actually do as, as a job. I lead guided walks uh, and activities, lots of what I would term hedgecraft, which yeah. is making things, but fairly quick makes. So rather than sort of traditional country crafts, I make things, easy things that you yeah. can do quite quickly. Yeah, and things um, that you, you you would make from what f- things you find yeah, in the so, woods and so stuff. So, uh, u- utilizing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a few of those tonight. <laughs> yeah, we will. So, just um, yeah, so things we find along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of p- nature play, if you like. Yes. Um, so, trying to encourage people to to look at things, to experience things, sort of tactile approach. And things they can make and take home with them, I suppose. Make and take home, um, yeah, and sort of experiencing places they already know, perhaps, but in a in a slightly different way. As often we sort of, we go on a walk and we're so focused on the destination yeah. that we kind of we kind of lose sort of where we're going. We don't get enough of the experience of, of the actual. The, the journey itself. Yeah, and the, the events you, you, you do, you, you do those all over East Anglia? I do, mainly Suffolk and Norfolk, but yeah. occasionally further afield as well. Including here at Thornham Walks. The beautiful Thornham Walks, yes. yes. Which is where we are. So, and we're, we're going to go on a, a sort of twilight walk, aren't we? Twilight adventure. A twilight adventure. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting better all the, by the minute. <laughs> I just heard an owl. Yes, that was a tawny owl. Now we're standing overlooking a field where it looks a perfect habitat for a barn owl or something. This does, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's the kind of place they'd like to, to, to hunt. And there's margins. a magnificent old tree there. It's a dead, dead oak, isn't it? But it's absolutely stunning. It's like stag's horn. I'm intrigued by this transition period we're in now. We're, we're moving from daylight really into darkness now. It's sort of in that half light. What are the sort of subtle changes really as you go from day to night that you, you observe? Oh, that was an interesting noise. What was that? It? Was that a night jack? <laughs> I think it might have been, yeah. Barking. Yeah. So it's got cooler. It has, hasn't it? It's also it? got damper as well. So there's more moisture in the air. So the air is heavier. And so you can see your breath and the air gathers in, in pockets. And because the air is heavier as well, the sound travels more and there's less 
other sounds around so what we do hear is louder and more resonant because because the air is is, is heavier and you get some strange um effects of, of nighttime as well you get this kind of there's a sound reflection thing going on with the atmosphere where you can get sounds that are quite quite a lot further away they kind of get bounced off okay and and then you hear things further away and you lose the color the night yes. world is a monochrome place you suddenly notice the shapes of things so you lose texture but gain a sort of the collage sort of effect okay. of things now what about the wildlife that changes as well we just we heard a muntjac i think you see muntjacs in the daytime but i guess some animals become more active in the evening yeah there's a number of species that kind of like the dawn and dusk yeah and there's a number of, of uh, species that, that inhabit that time primarily um, and then a lot of things that are hunting them the predators will be around at that time as well so foxes mm. are, are, are sort of well known for that is that they they kind of they want what they want to do is catch their prey both when it's going out yeah um, and then when it's coming back again right I see. so and and that's the time sort of between dawn and dusk most animals are nocturnal or at least more nocturnal so that i think it's about 80 percent mm-hmm. of, of animals are nocturnal oh, right so that much i had yeah, no idea so we we see only a fraction of them during the day most of our mammals are much more active at night like badgers for yeah. example yeah i mean the squirrel is the only one that's that's wild um, animal that's 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 quite easy to find during the day yeah rabbits as well a bit but yes yeah hares as well hares yes but um yeah but everything else tends to be much more night based you've done this quite a few times these twilight walks and walking at night have you had some sort of interesting or magical wildlife encounters there's quite a few yeah there's a number of things one that really stands out was i had an encounter with a with a badger and it was a really old badger i knew it must have been quite old because i think it was it might have been blind because it didn't know i was there it was in front of me and the wind was blowing towards me so it couldn't smell me what were you just standing were you i was i was in a woodland and um i heard it shuffling around and i stopped still yeah uh, and it and it wandered a sort of a across and in front of me and then I just followed it and there was this old badger and, he, and the hairs were quite grey as well oh, so really? it looked pretty old and it was a bit like us John <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say anything <laughs> but um, yeah and it was sort of, sort of shambling along and it, it, and it seemed pretty oblivious of me actually so I was able to follow it for five ten minutes that must be magical it was amazing yeah just to see it like it that grunting as it went along oh. that, that was quite a nice encounter um, and it was about it was like this actually it wasn't quite night time like there's still just enough light to be able to see yeah so watching the badger the other one that really stands out is um, with tawny owls yes um, and tawny owls they have different calls they have a sort of recognition social call mm-hmm. then they have the territorial call which which we yeah. know was that the um, twit to one yeah right so, okay so yes. the the social call i try and do it okay. it's more of a that kind of thing that sounds just like <laughs> <laughs> now i've heard that many times i came out of a pub once actually and there was a tawny owl in the tree and yeah. making that exact noise and that is that the territorial one that's the social call social yeah. okay yes yes so if you hear that what they're just chatting to one another as so it's were. more of a recognition call and a kind of, and i think it's a kind of i'm not a threat sort of right call, I as see. far as i know 
Um, and then, of course, the 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 yeah. woo is yes. is the territorial call. Right. So that's trying to say what? Get off. Get yeah. away. Yeah. And also, when when they're sort of searching for mates as well, there's yeah. there's a territorial call. Males do it a lot. Females do it too. Okay. Because they also have territories. Yeah. Um, and I I seem to think, from my experience, the younger ones don't tend to do it quite so well okay so often they still like their voice is breaking a bit there's a kind of <laughs> excellent so yeah they're sort of practicing it so usually when it's really crisp and clear yeah it's, it's a mature adult doing doing the call i see but also yeah they do another call as well right uh, which is um when they're when they're getting together yeah. in the breeding yeah. season um the males and females will sing a duet together and it's yeah. kind of like a trill and it's very quiet and you have to be quite close yeah i've only he ever heard it twice gosh so but that that was pretty that amazing must be amazing yeah magical isn't it absolutely magical to be gate crashing their, <laughs> their date <laughs> oh a peacock peacocks they've obviously got a big population of or a very loud oh, yeah. peacock <laughs> two two that like <laughs> two to that call very loud are there changes as you go through the year? So there are there are definitely seasonal patterns, um, and um, bats obviously uh, bats hibernate over the winter. You tend to get bats a lot of activity from sort of spring into the autumn, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, they they tend to disappear a bit unless it's a really mild evening, and then they might crop up again. Okay. Um, and then things like uh, lots of birds, so nightingales mm -hmm. uh, in the springtime, and then you get night jars more in the sort of early summer as well. Yeah. Uh, and then the owls, spring, spring and autumn is the, is their busy time, and glowworms right. um, will be mostly July and August. You can you can see the juveniles, the young glowworms, mm. uh, most of the year, but. To, to see the really bright um, females, it's usually July and August. Now, I have been on a walk with you where we saw glowworms. It's the first time and the only time I've ever seen glowworms. And it was magical. And it was um, one of those experiences where once you'd seen one, you started to see more and more and more. Your eyes got sort yes. of attuned to yeah. it. Tell us, what, what exactly is a glowworm? So a glowworm is is uh, an insect. So it's a okay. beetle. So it's not a worm. So it's not a worm. No, but it's a so it's a species of beetle um, that produces two chemicals, which when they're mixed together produce this phosphorescent light. Yeah. Which is a sort of a form of bioluminescent, and it's green. Mm. And it's like a tiny green uh, LED, like light emitting yes, diode. It's very right. small. You used to have it on things like um, remote controls. You'd have an LED oh, light yes. on it, and it looks a bit like that. It's so like when you're charging your phone and it's fully it, yeah. charged. <laughs> <laughs> the red light goes to green. That's right. Yes, and it would be the, gr the green <laughs> light the that green. you're looking for. They are very delicate and beautiful, mm. and it's a very it's a very pale light, and it's a sort of ethereal, unearthly, mm. unearthly light as well. So mm. it's a something that that makes you think of the sort of the fairy world and magic. Oh. So there's a pipistrelle just, just flying around. Oh, there it is there. It's just going round the, round the pond. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that early for it to come out or is that the No, right? that's just about right, just after sunset. Yeah. Um, so this this so it's 
What would this be? Your thing's saying number 57. 57, so that's 57 kilo, kilohertz. Okay. So that human hearing goes up to about uh, 17, 18 kilohertz, something yeah. like that. And so this is, this is ultrasound. Uh, and what the back box is doing, that detector, is it's, um, it's translating the ultrasound in, into a uh, frequency, an audible sound that we can hear. Yeah. And it's a series of click, there you go, clicks and patterns. And what we're hearing is the bat shouting, basically, um, and listening to the, to the echoes in order to work out where things are, how far away they are, and also roughly what the, what they're made of. So it can tell by the echo what it is. Yeah, it can tell quite a lot of information wow. from from the the ultrasound pulse. Uh, and then what it'll do is when it wants to focus in on something, when it wants to get more detail, yeah. it will send out more pulses. And, oh, there we go. Like we just that. heard it. Yeah, when it goes, that that is it honing in on something. Usually catching an insect, they will be shouting out up to around 200 times per second when they're actually trying to catch something. Wow. So it's a very rapid frequency. We're standing just next to a pond. I just yeah. saw it there, actually. Is it because of the pond that it's here? Is it? Is it catching insects yeah. up above the water? Yeah, so the bats will go where, where the insects are. And of course, um, this time of year, around ponds, there's going to be a lot of insect life, lots of midges and mosquitoes. So there's a number of bats now. We've, we've got several here. Yeah. Whoa, right over our head. Yeah, there it goes. Right over our head. So, yeah. It's really going for it, and they're catching lots of things. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can see there's more than one now. But luckily for us, that they do use ultrasound because they actually shout really loud. Well, the actual noise yeah. they make is between 120 and 140 decibels. Okay, it's a loud. real. It is loud. It's loud as it's like a as wow. loud as a jet engine. No way. Yeah. Um, but because it's above the frequency we can hear, we don't notice oh, it at all. Right. So yeah, and the reason for that is is that the sound does not travel very far in air, so they have to they have to be really loud in order for the pulses to travel some distance. There we go, and they're catching lots of things. Obviously, having a good night tonight. Is this a good night for it? Because it's it's incredibly calm, it's quite still. Yeah, very still. There's no wind, not too cold. No, no, and uh, incredibly clear sky now. Ooh. Multiple bats there. Multiple bats, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's lots of insects around. Uh, because we've had quite cold, damp weather, the insects haven't been coming out at night, so the bats are trying to sort of almost make up for lost oh, time, really. These pipistrels are after smaller insects, but some of the, some of the bigger bats will yeah. be after things like moths. Okay. And some moths can yeah. actually produce their own um, ultrasound pulses to jam oh, the really? bat signal. So the bats will then shift frequency in order to be able to, to still hone in on, on the moths. I love the, uh, the combination of the blackbird and the uh, yeah, bat yeah. So we've got the sort of the blackbird singing mournfully of the passing of the daytime, and then the bats <laughs> kind of chattering away at the prospect of night, isn't it? It's kind of the crossover from the day shift to the night shift. Was that what I thought it was? What? Barn owl. Yes, I think it was a barn owl, yeah. Silent assassins. Absolutely silent. Gone off into the distance. They do, I mean, owls do have um, feathers which are super soft. Yeah. Um, so that they can fly silently. But it's actually not in order to surprise things. 
it's to stop them deafening themselves when they're f when they're flying because their their ears are uh, super sensitive uh, and to help protect their hearing they have silent flight so that so that they don't um they don't deafen themselves when they're flying it didn't make a single sound did it, it was amazing. no Oh, I just saw what was a that? flash. I saw a that flash. That was, I think that was an iridium. Oh, there's a bat. bat. <laughs> so we've had a bar now, a bat, <laughs> flying around and our a heads. Flash. I think what that was the flash? The flash was, a. I think that's uh, iridium flare. What's that? There's a, um, there's a network of satellites which are being decommissioned, which are called the iridium satellites. Uh, and they have, I think they're either very shiny or they have solar panels. Was, was that it burning up in the atmosphere or no, something? No, that, I think it's a solar panel or the body of the, of the satellite catches the sun. I see. So, and it flashes. That's what we just um, saw. Yeah, and you can see them during the day as well, if you know where to look. We're now the day after a full moon. I read somewhere, was it a blood moon or something? Each month has its own full moon and each full moon has its own own name for right. depending on which month it's in. Oh, I see. April's full moon was a super moon. Super moon, yeah. Which means it's closer and I think it's 10% larger um, because the moon kind of varies at the distance that it is from the Earth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a bit closer, sometimes it's a bit further away. Mm. And, and I think when it's at its closest point, um, it's about 10% bigger than mm. when it's at its furthest away point. Oh, look, there's a satellite just going over there. Yes. There it is. That's not the International Space Station, no, it's not, not bright enough. Not bright enough, right. It's no. just quite faint, isn't it? It's sort yeah. of a little pinprick of light. It's just moving across the sky in a dead straight line. And the silence as well, that they just glide across. And there, and then, yeah. and then, there it goes, it's fading now. Yes, it's fading away, look at so, that. Gently going away. So that means it's passing into the shadow. Are there good places in uh, East Anglia to um, to see the night sky? There's a number of sites uh, in <coughs> East Anglia. There are even um, dark dark sky discovery sites Is there? in east of England. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Rendlesham Forest might be a dark sky discovery site. I know that there's several on the North Norfolk coast. Yeah. And some in in the Broads as well. Mm. Um, I would have thought that places like uh, Thetford Forest, so around there would be very very good for dark skies. But East Anglia in general, as long as you're away from, from the large towns, um, you're going to get pre pretty good pretty views. Pretty good skies, yeah. yeah. It's possible to see uh, the Aurora Borealis, the, the northern really? lights on the on the North Norfolk coast. That's quite far south, isn't it, for, for, for that or not? And it, it can be seen even further south. Really? Um, yeah, I saw it in the New Forest. Well, that's in, very far south. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but it was amazing. Um, wow. And what was it like when you saw it? What was it? Just colour in the sky, or it was like um, it was like a, a curtain of, of colour, and it was just rippling. It was what like, colour was it? It was green and red. Gosh. So at first, because where where I was in the new forest was pretty dark, I thought it was a fire. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because there was there was this flickering in the sky, and I thought it was a reflection of a fire yeah. in the forest. Right. Uh, and I got to a, um, a a ridge mm -hmm. to to overlook, and then when I got to the ridge and, and there was a clear sky, I could see it was the Northern Lights. Good grief! And I phoned everyone I knew <laughs> <laughs> to tell them to go and see if they could see it. We've been to um, Scotland and uh, yes, and not seen it easily with our naked eye, but we took. Um, night photos on uh, a very long exposure yeah. 
uh, and captured the Milky Way. I was trying to photograph the stars actually, captured right. the Milky Way. And when we looked at the photograph afterwards, we noticed the horizon was all green. Oh, right. So you, you we couldn't see it with our naked eye. Right. Yeah. Well, not so really. Yes. Yeah. Cameras, cameras, they you get better it. pictures. And it was quite, you know, extraordinary to look at the photo afterwards and think you'd witnessed it, but, <laughs> yeah, but without realising it. <laughs> <laughs> If somebody wanted to do a night walk, have you got any top tips about doing it? <laughs> so, yeah, I think the first thing is, is to go somewhere you know really well. Yeah. Um, because you want to be walking and you want to be comfortable with where you're walking uh, and know you're not, you're not going to get lost. If possible, somewhere with quite flat, even paths. So somewhere where, you, where it's going to be fairly easy to walk around. Going with somebody else as well, it's safer. And in a sense, it's more fun as well because it's nice to share Yes, experiences yes. as well and more pairs of eyes looking is there any special kit that you would recommend obviously a torch yeah. but the secret is to try not to use it uh, i mean i've got about four torches on me now but uh, yeah, they're there really for more for sort of if if you suddenly feel that you've got lost or mm. um, you drop something and you need to find it so yeah and i would say that don't have the torch in your hand you can get um, red light torches now, sort of torches with red filters, and red filters means it doesn't affect your night vision as much. Okay. But it still affects it, and I try when I go for a night walk. This is why it's important to go a place to a place you know. Yeah. Is I try not to use a torch at all, so that you your eyes adjust to to the dark, and you you get a different experience. If you walk around with a torch, yeah. you tend to look where the torch I shines. See. Yeah. Uh, and what what happens is is it makes everything much darker, mm -hmm. which means you don't see as much. So um, well, it's so interesting you said because it's now it's gone ten o'clock and yeah. you know we can see quite well. I mean yeah. I know it's a clear night, but the moon hasn't risen up. It's not like we've got full moon no. light or anything like that. But actually you can see quite easily to wander around without the need of a torch at all. And yes. there is something a little bit more special about looking at everything in this light it's everything as you said earlier it's all subdued and it's just shapes and sort of ethereal it's it's kind of like um ghost yeah ghostly isn't it you lose the so you can't really see the branches but you can see the the sort of mass of the of, of the leaves and it, and that's what creates the sort of patterns but you can't see the tips of the branches either so it's it's good to walk more slowly as well <laughs> probably safer <laughs> avoid things yeah um, other than the torch, warm clothes, warm clothes, <laughs> yeah. Um, binoculars can be pretty pretty useful at night. Actually, if you get a, a, a pair that have got large lenses, so they let mm -hmm. let in more light, then then you surprisingly you can still see. use them. Mm. Yeah, uh, and of course for the stars as well, um, binoculars kind of give you mm. uh, access to a lot more stars. Mm. So you see much more the detail in the sky. Your fascination with uh, the natural environment where, where, is that something you've always had since you were young my parents weren't that much into nature so they, I didn't they went out a lot um, we sort of went for walks in the country but they didn't know that that much um, and I think it's partly from 
films and television actually it's things really? like um bagpuss <laughs> <laughs> and um watership down had, oh, a, had really? a really powerful effect on me as a as a child yeah so uh, and just that sort of magic of nature and have you always worked in this environment as well with nature and countryside and walks and guided um, walks I kind of I started off um, doing wildlife surveys. Uh, ended up sort of talking to the plants because I'd spend hours not seeing anyone. <laughs> uh, and then I, I kind of got into uh, by mistake actually. I got into environmental education with um, um, a county wildlife trust, uh, and it went from there really. And I kind of done I've done quite a lot of um, environmental education, and then more into sort of guided walks and a little bit of foraging and hedgecraft making making things as well so and i've kind of gone from um the west country where where i uh, where i grew up across to east anglia so i studied at otley mm -hmm. otley college of agriculture and then back to the new forest did you right? yeah so i worked in the new forest <coughs> for, for three years and then back to suffolk to do a project with um, Suffolk Wildlife Trust. And so I've sort of been in and around um, East Anglia sort of uh, ever since then. Oh, oh it's an owl calling, yeah. Should we go yeah, a let's bit further in? See, see if we can get, get closer to it. There we go. So that's to our left. Yeah. And the other call was to our right. So that is a recognition call flying, flying over. Oh, and that's a territorial call. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Do you think it attracted it towards it or? There's definitely something going on there. Yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah. Definitely. That's the other thing about night walking, your, your senses change, don't they? You're not using your eyes as much, you're hearing things differently, I think, and smelling and the, the, the other senses come to the fore a bit. Yeah, um, because our vision is reduced, become more aware of the sort of our other senses and because there's less sounds to hear than what sounds there are, we tend to focus on much more. Whereas during the day, because there's so many different sounds, we sort of screen out most of it. Yeah. And of course, because the air is damper, the smells linger. So, you, so you're more, again more aware of of the the feeling of the air as well, because mm. the the damper air is, is is heavy and you can feel it on your skin and the cold and warm spots as well mm. become more obvious so yeah so it's kind of you're sort of more immersed in in a in a sensory world at night now what's that right above us um i'm just trying to get a handle on it would that be a planet? I think that's a... If it is a planet, it's probably... It would have to be Mars. Yeah. If it's a planet. I'm just... The trouble is, at the moment, there's not enough stars for me to... Oh, another bat. bat. 
Um, it could be a star, that could be Arcturus. Right. Which is one of our brightest three stars in the northern sky. Venus, I think, is maximum magnitude is about minus four. Um, Jupiter is about minus two. So a minus magnitude means it's really bright. Yeah. Um, and then um, it goes from minus to plus. Um, so things like uh, Sirius, which is the brightest star, I think is about minus 1.8. Yeah. Uh, International Space Station is about minus 3.9 when it flies over. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it's Arcturus. Arcturus. Which is in the constellation of, of Bootes, who is a, a, a boatman. Yeah. So uh, most of our constellations are, are from Greek mythology. Uh, and there's sort of stories behind them all, really. Now, I have seen the space station, but that's extraordinary when you see that, just sort of gently yeah. going across the uh, the Just uh, the gliding sky. across the sky, yes. isn't it? Little white dots. In fact, I remember doing a walk with you, John, when uh, you, you knew it was going to happen, and you st we were in a group, <laughs> and you stopped us at the exact right time, and you said to everyone, look up, and we all looked up, and there it was going over. Yeah, that was, that was... That was well planned. That worked out very well, that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a quick call to NASA. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's lots of apps, phone apps these days, and you can find out all kinds of things, and you can track um, satellites across the sky. Um, uh, the one I use is he Heavens Above, but there are others as well. Yeah. Um, and it will show you, you can have a live um, map which shows you what satellites are in the sky at that moment wow. and where they are so you can see them. So that is the International Space Station and it does, it's quite slow, it glides across the sky. It's really bright. Yeah. Wow, look at it, it's just moving really gently. It's a real the sky. it's a real kind of graceful glide across mm. and there's people in it, isn't there? There's four or five people in there. Is there? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's always it's always occupied. And where are they now? They're probably over Germany. Uh, which way are they heading? South southeast. So yeah, maybe over central Europe. That one just flashed at me. There's another satellite that just flashed oh, coming wow. over. Oh yeah, I see that. that moving really fast actually mars is the only only planet in the solar system that's that that's occupied solely by robots <laughs> so yeah so it's robot it's the robot world <laughs> i love that the only planet inhabited by robots just by purely by robots yeah <laughs> John, thank you so much for this twilight, well, night walk almost, isn't it? Well, we've, we've, we're now in the night, aren't we? So we've we transitioned from from dusk in, into the night. And we should thank uh, Thornham Estate, actually, for giving us permission to do this podcast. Yes. Uh, we're not normally allowed to wander around uh, in the evenings like no. this. Um, so thank you to the Thornham Estate for giving us permission to walk around and do this podcast. It's been absolutely magical. John, thanks so much for this. It's nearly half ten, I think, actually. So <laughs> on. time's whizzed by, uh, but it's been absolutely magical. Thank you very much. Thanks. That's right. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure to be out here with you. Thanks, John.
Thank you. The Suffolk Walking Festival is one of the country's largest and longest running walking festivals. The festival takes place every May with over 100 walks and countryside events across the county. Visit suffolkwalkingfestival.co.uk for more information and follow us on Facebook for up-to-date news. Thank you to David Stainer and Scott Dolling of the duo Silbury Hill for the use of their music in this podcast. Music